acknowledge that I have matters physical and historic. I've given you fully on your voyage to your new home. These are important matters, to be sure, but still matters of mere fact. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the IWMP podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And I have again uh, made him watch a movie because it's it's the beginning of a new year. First month of a new year, it's time for new things. It's a time for firsts. So uh, I've selected an appropriate movie for that. That was one movie? That was one movie. I so- thought... S- sort of. Yeah. Uh, okay. I feel like we just watched three, maybe <laughs> four films. That, that was a thing. But I am excited that we're kind of breaching into this territory because we haven't gone very far in this direction. We've done movies before, but this lets us, you know, reach into a whole other set of media, which I'm expecting us to dive into more. And I'm excited. We've done some late 70s things before. We may have done some late 70s movies before. I'm not sure. I know we did some early 70s with at least one of the uh, Medfield College movies. But I don't think we've ever done any full on real superhero stuff have we we've done the hulk oh that is true 70s tv superhero but this means we've got the other side of the the classic debate because that was marvel and this one's dc for this one we went back to 1978 for what may have been the first well no it isn't the first superhero movie by any means but it's the First superhero movie to take a step towards taking superheroes seriously as at least a movie property and putting money into it and getting big name actors. So, of course, we are talking about Superman. The last son of Krypton, Superman. And yeah, this is this was a big budget film. It this one, was. This is this is a superhero special effects movie. And that's kind of a clear thing. There is stunt acting in other things. There is other interpretations of superheroes. But this one, there's a special effects aspect. They're green screening. They're using more of the visual trickery to try to mimic comic page stuff in some ways. There's a little bit of that going on in this design. Oh, no no question about it. It wasn't all just clever cuts and things, though there were enough of those. This kind of pushed the limits of some of the effects that they were working with. This had Richard Donner directing. Score by John Williams was already this, you know, incredibly, absolutely at the top composer for movies. Had already done Jaws, for example. A year before this, had a movie released called Star Wars. Yeah, this is a very, this being post Star Wars definitely has an impact. And I don't know if you noticed the, uh, the story and screenwriting credits, but there was a story by credit in one of the screenwriting credits. Mario Puzo, best known Uh, for writing a novel called The Godfather. Oh! Talk about a heavy hitter in 1970s media. Dang, yeah. (laughs) 
Now, I'm not going to go into it. I understand that there are stories about the fact that they hired Puzo to work on this. He still gets the story credit, still gets the writing credit. But though the story structure remained what he wrote, I understand a lot of the details and a lot of the dialogue were rewritten. Ah. Maybe they wanted to sound more like a Superman movie than a, a mafia movie. Who knows? I, I'm, I'm, gonna, jo- I'm joking. I'm not suggesting that's all that Puzo can write. I'm going to send you my only son. He's from Krypton. You're going to make sure that things go smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> a very different interpretation of the character here. Oh, now I'm imagining some kind of a recut. Because, of course, you're talking about the cast. Marlon Brando. Yeah. Superman's dad. <laughs> I'm I'm imagining now the recut, the scenes about Sonny with his with his dialogue from Superman or vice versa. Oh goodness. <laughs> this movie is I mean, I kind of almost want to dissect it backwards because I I was saying it feels like more than one movie because this this is packing a lot into this t- runtime. Well, when they shot it, they were shooting more than one movie. They were. This wasn't a shoot hoping to. This was a, we're shooting more than one at a time. Well, the project originally began with them intentionally or or planning it out to shoot Superman and Superman 2 at the same time. And then (sighs) do all the photography for both, do the editing and special effects for one and release that, and then have some time to do the editing and special effects for Superman 2. Now, I understand towards the end of the project, they got tight for time. They got concerned about it, how successful this was going to be. They really needed to focus their their resources on finishing Superman 1. So the, the, the plan changed partway through. But during at least some of the photography, I believe uh, they were planning and shooting for Superman too and obviously they were dropping story elements that had nothing to do with this movie uh absolutely i feel so much better now because that entire opening sequence has nothing to do with the movie dad it has so little to do with the movie and i was going through the entire thing saying what how does that i know about the characters in this why are they here already? Is this implying to anything? And it ends, and I'm just like, but the opening. It's like, that's General Zod. Did you turn on the wrong movie? Yeah, like, <laughs> I know about Zod. I know Neil to Zod. I know the memes. But that just immediately set me up like, what? This is more than one movie. <laughs> and then they shift gears two more times, and I'm here thinking, I don't feel like I finished any of these films. Yeah, there were some gear changes, and I think that those reflect the fact that they're not being a tradition of superhero movies. It was hard for them to know what their tone should be and what their approach should be, and we therefore get several shifts. I'm not sure I would agree, though, that the opening sequence of the movie doesn't belong in this movie or is irrelevant to this movie what what do you define as the the opening sequence where would you say that ends i would say that it's the entire zod section as the opening sequence because the the thing it could apply to this movie is that it very clearly defines the relationship between superman's father and the high council of krypton 
and the fact that he is a person who will clash with them usually is following their rules. And I'd be absolutely okay if the idea was we're going to show this scene to establish that so that it then can be applied to the next scene of the destruction of Krypton. If they didn't start the destruction of Krypton with literally spelling out what I just described by one of the council members calling him out for it, the repetition literally (laughs) makes that first point useless except for, oh, it's sad. Oh, I don't know. I I think that there is some value there. It it helps establish very quickly what kind of position he has, that he is a member of the council. He has a vote. I mean, I don't know the details of crypto, the Kryptonian justice system, but he is a prosecutor and part of the judge panel and obviously very respected, respected to the point where he's prosecuting this war criminal and... The war criminal would like to get him on his side. That, that, that right there is... This is an important guy whose opinion should probably be listened to, and the very next scene, it's not. It's not, because the very, although the very next scene is him saying the planet will explode, followed by multiple scenes of the sun exploding and eating the planet. So I guess he was wrong, but right that they should evacuate? Well, yeah, I mean... Are you really going to nitpick on the details? I, I, I've certainly met people who would. Ha! You said the planet would explode, and it didn't. It melted. <laughs> Dang Good it. thing I didn't listen to you and evacuate. I would have been wrong. Well, Goku, it looks like you have just about five minutes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can absolutely understand this sort of event, but it, I can be that kind of nitpicker when I want, and that's oh, why no. I call this out. <laughs> but it's like, the entire thing, there's also, that entire scene is long. There's a lot of, like, Kryptonians falling into the pits, yeah. kind of like, why do they hold on that? Yeah, I get it. you get the impression that the end of Krypton comes very, very quickly, but then once it comes, we get to see all of it. We get all these scenes of crystal towers breaking and people falling from them, and, you know, we didn't need quite that many minutes of it to, uh, to get the idea. I do really like Kryptonian... Uh, aesthetic in terms of its design their high council room kind of looks like a charging pad for rover on the the island he's gonna hop out of that thing and then go chase number six down the beach because it's this big white dome in a crystal (laughs) thing and i'm like ooh, but i just like their buildings although their buildings are also very fragile looking and seem to be horrible because if one breaks it throws sharp shards well that's probably true of a lot of american cities too when you think about it we throw heavy stones. <laughs> so, yeah, we do get to see in, in lots of detail the, the destruction of Krypton. But we also get to see... They stick their baby into a chandelier. They do. It's very stylish. <laughs> very stylish chandelier. And they're keeping their word because he promised that neither he nor his wife would attempt to evacuate Krypton. Nothing said any... I didn't say anything about an unaccompanied minor. <laughs> <laughs> On a pretty long trip. Yeah. And oh, and if you haven't guessed yet, folks, well, lots of spoilers. It's a movie. We're going to talk about it. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. But but they, they, they apparently launched the baby using a combination of their rocket technology and the force of their own planet dying. Yeah. I guess. Because he, he goes how far? <laughs> And he ages only how much? It's 
It's 20 some galaxies. Um, I didn't know galaxy was a unit of measurement, but if it were, that would be a very, very distant unit of measurement. I will say that, and I noticed this on this viewing, which is, again, the first time I've viewed this in decades, as is often the case. There were lots of visual effects of weird loops and swirls and nebulae and things. He was not just going through the hard vacuum of space a la 2001. So I'm thinking maybe Krypton had very well mapped any wormholes or other spatial anomalies such that it wasn't just, I'm going to point you in the direction of Earth or where Earth is going to be in three years. It's, I'm going to set you on a trajectory that's going to bounce you through 23 different galaxies until you get to Earth. Dad, you've gotten very good at preempting me attempting to figure out how many times the speed of light he's moved. <laughs> oh, you are doing oh. an amazing job keeping me from the math, and I'm actually thanking you, because I was going to break my brain trying to do that. <laughs> well, I'm sad now. I feel like I've cheated myself out of an Ian Does Math segment <laughs> on the uh, IWMP, because uh, uh, be... you've done this before with things like uh, Space 1999. The weight of how, paper. Where were they going, and how fast were they going, and... Yeah, but because uh, I, I, I almost started to do the math and I stopped myself because I'm like, how far? He only aged how much? That is multiple times the speed of light. I'm going to have to figure this out. But no, wormholes, I'm just going to take wormholes and, and leave because that's going to be better for me. All right. Thank you. It's a done deal. <laughs> but, uh, but it is interesting that Earth was, in fact, the target, was the, the goal. Yeah. They didn't just say, well, let's send him out and have the computer find a habitable planet. Yeah. No, but we're going we're gonna to send this baby to Earth. They're far be they're they're far below us in terms of technology, but he'll look like them. That's that's interesting. Yeah, he'll look like them, and he's already figured out yeah. how to have superpowers, right? And and kind of cataloged what they will be. No mention of the yellow sun as a source of his power. No, although they do make a very clear point of watching the red sun of Krypton. So I guess they're kind yeah. of letting that just be the implication. But that's like where the first movie ends, because they take so long on the destruction of Krypton. And we also get a very long sequence of, like, speed tutoring the baby in space. And then it moves into the the rural farm life of the Kents. But before we move on to that, you mentioned the speed tutoring the baby. Yeah. Um, can I like get that on Libro FM or <laughs> from Hoopla at the library? Marlon Brando teaches you the entirety of science and human culture. That would be really awesome. Yeah, it's only a 6,713 uh, MP3 set that you oh. can download. But that was great. Yeah, they were teaching the kids science and ethics. And not just, you know, this is who you are and where you came from, but this is what you're going to need to know to not only survive where you're going, but thrive and flourish and contribute something remarkable to the place you are going. He's very much sent with a... <laughs> Superman has always had a a Christ figure allegory thing being the last, the being this only son sent to earth amongst the men. Kind of, it, oh, it's completely oh. there. 
Absolutely. I mean, there's a line in here saying, I have sent them you, my only son, Yeah, to teach them. They so double down with the, I'm not just sending you because our place is dying, but because you've got a thing to do here. There, 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 he's so pushing that a little bit harder than I've seen in other interpretations, but that means that all the extra tutoring and teaching and the more than one montage of getting ready and learning how to do what he's doing kind of hits harder because giving him a clear set purpose from an external force in that sense for why he's there means he has something he has to build to do. Even if building to do it is Superman quick and kind of just dink, done, <laughs> montage power, activate. Like it, 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 it gives a reason for that. And I like that. It, it sets up a, a, a moral and ethical and intentional framework around why he's there and what he's doing. Absolutely. And then he lands in like... 1948 Kansas, if I had to guess. Yeah. And then he goes to high school in 1955 Kansas, I guess. I'm trying to think. It's, it seemed as if his childhood took place much farther in the past than his adult life in late 70s. I was about to say New York, but Metropolis. Yeah, they they do kind of, I guess, attempt to show the... The hominess and the, the the classic Americana aspect by pulling it backwards in time just a little. Yeah, that's, his- that's a good point. That's a fair cartoonish, in a positive way, cartoonish vehicle or, or technique to show the contrast of where he came from and where he ended up. And, and smash cutting from, almost smash cutting from uh, the baby can deadlift our car to... Clark trying not to be noticed too much, so he's just the water boy for the football team, but he can get all his things done and surprise people that he's available to hang out if they wanted later. Kind of, they they set up this whole little thing and compact a whole lot of, he grows up with a childhood and is starting to learn his powers very quickly there. They do, and they very economically give you a pretty good sense of the kind of upbringing he had from Ma and Pa Kent, where we have one of the few scenes where we really have, maybe the only scene where we really have uh, Pa Kent talking with him and pointing out that, you know, you you can do remarkable things, and you are here and that you have these powers for a reason, and that reason is not to show off or to score touchdowns. It's bigger than that, and part of your job is to find out what that is. There again, we get the building blocks of not only Superman and his powers, but of his personality, which is so, I think, misunderstood and underrated in the superhero world. Yeah, a lot of things have to figure out how to make Superman interesting instead of realizing that he can be interesting by being a person with a strong moral compass who is... In in many ways, Superman's fight is not against the villain as much as it is making sure he can continue to walk his line, because falling off it on one side or the other is so easy. And this does a great job of like giving him a purpose and therefore a line that he is walking and he is making sure he is not 
going using his powers selfishly. He is not overusing his powers when he doesn't need to. He is being careful. And you almost see him break that a few times in this movie, which is the interesting parts there. Because you're watching him keep keep that that self-control can be a fascinating tension. And and I um I can't talk about Superman without talking about this quote from Gwenda Bond, um, uh, New York Times bestselling writer, who kind of summed up this with, Superman is only boring if you think being good is easy. Yes. And it's not. And there are times when this movie lapses into, yeah, that's, it's, that's just him. It must be easy. But they do set that up, that it's something that he's working at and something that he had to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important because that is one of the reasons why I like Superman so much as a character. The 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 entirety of the Clark the Clark's childhood and growing up kind of ends though rather harshly. Yeah. In that scene yeah. because we go very quickly from positive words of encouragement from Pa Kent to the heart attack that takes him away. And the fact that they go very quickly from that very tragic scene to the bits of his old ship glowing and him getting, what, psychic messages and immediately leaving out to the Arctic to go build himself a fortress of solitude via the the, the instant fortress just add crystal. <laughs> and they had telegraphed that at the beginning when... Uh, his dad was putting him in the spaceship. There was this one special crystal he was adding at the very end. And that turned out to be the crystal with the, the Fortress of Solitude and the recording or AI simulation of of his dad. I don't know which. Oh, no, it's built on Flash Player. <laughs> it's not going to be supported anymore. We're sorry. <laughs> That's why it had inter- interactive mouse over segments, though. Please update your Fortress of Solitude to enjoy this content. Exactly. But I felt so bad for Ma Kent. Yeah. She is yeah. alone very quickly. Yep. Oh. I felt very sad. It was. And and well shot. And they really, they show a lot of, uh, of emotion in those scenes. Absolutely. And we, we follow Clark over to his, his freshly minted fortress and his AI video dad who immediately says you know okay i gave you the first part on the trip here here's the second part and we just montage cut to it's been years and he's trained to be superman yeah i liked the way that was done because every once in a while they have a in the past year we discussed this in the next year we will cover these other topics and next and by the end he's saying it's been 12 years so I figure he left uh, Smallville, uh, Clark left Smallville uh, probably when he finished high school. Mm-hmm. So he's had 12 years of post-secondary education. Dang. Although it's not from anything accredited, so how did he get a job that fast? <laughs> well, evidently he, uh, he had some, some background in reporting, and he did some of that kind of work before he went to Metropolis and got a job at the Daily Planet. So I'm guessing he wrote for some small town papers and things. That would make sense. But still, it's immediately we're into 
him in Metropolis. And this is where the third movie starts <laughs> because we've already gotten uh, the sci-fi epic, epic known as the fall of Krypton. And we've gotten this, this heartfelt emotional tale of small town in America, which is the, the Kent family. And now we get into Superman in Metropolis. And this is where it feels like the Superman movie in some ways, because this is the aesthetic, you know, but also this is where it gets sillier. <laughs> And I'll point out something that I think backs you up in that in the decades since this movie, we have had a TV series all about the Smallville section of this with the other. I have only seen a few episodes enough to make me think of it as uh, Smallville 90210, <laughs> but we've had a whole series about young Clark Kent in Smallville. We have had... A TV series essentially about the Metropolis life of Clark Kent and Superman, the Lois and Clark series. Goes back a while. And more recently, we've got this sci fi channel series about Krypton. Oh, yeah. Every I single they did piece, that. everything you're, you're identifying as a, a separate movie, they've built entire TV series around each one of those. So you're right. They, they naturally fall into these different sections and these different story types and this movie somehow puts them together while recognizing how different they are and i remember when i first watched this in a theater and i was what 13 years old it did seem kind of jarring but somehow it worked for me it's a fact that i had seen clips of each of these segments online before this is a movie that has been diced up and scattered across the internet for all its references and being this early example people can pull from but i never realized it was all the same movie oh you thought oh these are scenes from that 70s and 80s series of superman movies yes no I think all the same one that's where it really throws me because i'm here <laughs> like when broken into clips, you can't figure out how these puzzle pieces fit together the same way. The narrative through lines drop off and keep going on new story pieces in such a way that you can't connect to them otherwise, except when you're watching it actively. And that's what throws me. You don't get him. If they had a scene in Metropolis where he calls back to Ma Kent and says he's doing okay, you would have connected a through line. <laughs> they don't do that. I'm calling out Superman for not calling his mother. I never expected this to be what I do, but it's what I'm doing because that would have given us something. Come on, Clark, call your mom. Give us a bit during the, uh, we're te I'm teaching you all about things where he just has to say the words Krypton used a dimension known as the Phantom Zone to imprison the worst offenders. Boom, you've done something. Even if you're not going to bring them back, say the words during the thing. You'll connect the first to the <laughs> second part. I'm asking for through lines, and the lack of those bugs me. <laughs> but each of the parts is very well done, so I can't be mad at this story. I can just be irked. Yeah, I'm not sure I have anything else on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm with you there. I maybe I'm having seen the movie before. They they go together better for me. But you're right in that they 
they they give us transitions, but the transitions they give us are very abrupt and very complete. Like we're done with that part of the movie. Period. We're on to the next. And then this next part of the movie is, I gotta say, possibly the best, because seeing we've seen Clark Kent, but really he was Superman. He was he had the the posture and he had the the bit of confidence. But seeing how he decides to portray the Clark Kent to the world in Metropolis is so clever and fun because it's this brilliant bit of acting, just a slight bit of hunch to his posture and a lot of fumbling uncertainness and some, some pretty clever acting inside the acting. You're seeing Clark, you're seeing, you know, Clark act as this characterization of Clark. He's decided to be his cover. And the fact that we can see that distinction and like we get to be in on this this joke, this this thing he's pulling on oh he's pulling amongst everyone else. He's pulling this trick and we get to watch it because we know the secret is fun. I mean the the thing that gets me is him being handed the bottle to open. And him making this extremely overdone thing of not being able to open it is just such a perfect moment because we know he could pop that open with his pinky. He could pop it open by looking at it thanks to the heat vision he has. But he intentionally makes a scene of not being able to open the bottle. And that is fun because we get to be in on the joke there. Yeah, they make it very clear it's not he puts on the glasses and they somehow disguise him and everybody around him in Metropolis is too dense to see the, the similarity. It's it's intelligence and acting that nobody would think in a million years to even compare them any more than they would think Jimmy Olsen was might be really Superman. Why would you even imagine Clark Kent might really be Superman? In some way, I've heard that one of the best interpretations of a lot of the DC characters are their animated series. Mm -hmm. so animated Adventures of Superman, Animated Batman, all excellent. One of the problems is the fact that you've got a, in some ways, rigid character design template, and you always will be drawing Clark with this square jaw, and it makes it harder to hide them because they literally will have the same silhouette. But he's able to actually, like, shift his body and his silhouette changes just enough yeah this is where we get into what a good job um uh, christopher reeve is doing here he's doing so good and he's just he this not stupid but out of his element slightly bumbling slightly oafish overgrown farm boy who's a little bit high strung and whose jaws a little bit slack and and that's clark kent and People size him up very quickly and then don't think about him again. And that's exactly what he needs as a disguise. And to counterpoint what he has decided Clark Kent will be, we get to see Lois Lane. Yes. This is the most forceful Lois Lane I've seen in anything. <laughs> in any interpretation. This Lois Lane looks like she would try to punch one of the supervillains first. And I love that. Does she remind you of any other movie characters that you like? Plenty, but I can't think of names right now. I know. I don't think we've talked about this movie. I think it's a bigger favorite of yours than mine, but the front page? 
Oh, goodness. It is fat, tough, fast talking female reporter. Oh, goodness. This is now I, I think that that's not just an inspiration for this Lois Lane. I think it's an inspiration for various uh, uh, depictions of Lois Lane. This is so much more Hayes Gal Friday. Yeah. I love Hayes Gal it. Friday. Yeah. That you're that's, absolutely that's, that's the right. version that uh, that you're the biggest fan of, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I love that movie. And my goodness, that is exactly what this is. And it, <laughs> that's what was getting me. I couldn't put words to that when I was seeing this scene. But you're right. That's what it reminded me of. The same kind of character we get an even broader parody of in a, uh, The Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, good point. Oh, another movie I like. Oh, dang. So, it's, so you look across movie history, you see yeah, this is kind of a well-defined trope. But it fits for this late 70s Lois Lane played by Margot Kidder. Oh, yeah. And she even has this like moment where she just says she would, she would uh, lose it if she was stuck doing things. She needs to be out there and getting the story and getting the information. That's what she enjoys doing. That's what makes her feel alive. And so we get this like, she will just, here's who I am. It's on my sleeve. If you don't have time to read it, I don't have time for you. Keep going. Kind of character. And it's brilliant because we get to see this clerk who is intentionally playing himself down, but can keep up with her and find this <laughs> energy she's got like, oh, she kind of threw me for a moment there. And that I can get behind that. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I mean, they're, obviously the idea is that being an advanced person from an advanced civilization has a very high intelligence, and they, they kind of match up. They, oh, are, yeah. they are good uh, challenges to one another on that level. And this also means that she is going out there and looking for stories and getting the assignments that can lead her into danger. <laughs> which, which is, is useful. also useful to build a Superman story around. Absolutely. The writers are just like, Ooh, absolutely. The fine example, they almost get mugged. She is the one who kicks down, kicks a mugger. He is the one who surreptitiously catches the bullet. So it doesn't kill her. Yeah. She'll kick the mugger. Won't think the next step ahead to the fact that unless I kick the gun out of his hand, he's still going to shoot us. And the fact that there is almost a complete wink to camera when he checks his palm, sees the bullet there, and just eh, shrug, yeah, it out. And doesn't quite stare down the camera, but with a smile. But it's it's almost there. Yeah, it's almost there. That's the, it's almost the cheesiest moment. But it's it's a fine little microcosm of how they're going to play this off. That Clark and Lois, Lois is going to be this forceful personality. Lois and Superman, she's a little thrown off her guard. We see this later. She almost gets that back later between them. And they play off of each other so well because he's not playing this character on top of it. Mm -hmm. But he, I guess because he meets her, like I didn't understand the timing, but he then goes off on like a very quick crime stopping spree. Well, he had really just gotten the job, so I gather he had just gotten to Metropolis. So I didn't don't know if he was the the superhero for a small town somewhere, but I gathered this was like his first week in the big city and his first week on the job as a reporter and as Superman. And he's doing things like bringing entire drug running yachts into the middle of the city. Yeah. To, to prevent things he's 
stopping people breaking into buildings. And his first big accomplishment is saving the helicopter that is about to plunge off the top of the Daily Planet building. Oh, yeah. And kill Lois Lane and the pilot. He does almost go into a phone booth. That is a scene I've seen <laughs> multiple times, but it's it's the wrong type of phone booth because it's this little like it's one of those little shell around a payphone instead of an actual booth you could stand in. And I remember that was such a big deal and such a joke in the late 70s because those had really just been phased in not long before where the, you simply would not find a phone booth on a street in, in New York. Suddenly you would instead see these things. And you know, there's no nowhere to go. There's actually one of the places I've seen it that it's what came to mind again when I saw it here is the YouTube video essayist Kyle Calgren on his channel Browse Held High did a discussion of a movie we actually haven't gotten to yet, which is Buckaroo Bonsai. But he describes how that's a moment that is only actually of importance to anyone who knows the rest of the superman canon in the movie on its own it means nothing but it's this tiny reference to anyone else who knows more superman lore than they present purely here that's just a brilliant moment because it's it wouldn't mean anything for him to look otherwise that's a great point i never really thought about it what it would mean to somebody who just you know, didn't know that was what superman did in the past was change in a phone booth it's what would that scene mean? It's like, oh, he's thinking about calling somebody, but no, he decides instead I'll change into my Superman suit somewhere. I guess that works. I don't yeah. know. Very odd. But it, it it's, a, it's a delightful moment. And instead he uses a, he uses a revolving door. Right. Spins around a revolving door uh, a few dozen times in a second. And uh, in that blur, he changes. Where does he put his briefcase? I guess he dropped it in the lobby. Stuffed his clothes into it. Just skids across the floor and behind <laughs> the desks. Right. But or he, he webs it to... No, wrong Superman. <laughs> wrong, wrong superhero. Oh, boy, thank you. We get him flying up there and saving uh, Lois in the helicopter and kind of getting to be a little suave about it. And he does all these other savings. He even, in fact, saves a cat from a tree. Yes. Proper writing. He <laughs> saves the cat. <laughs> Yes, because until then, we weren't really sure if this was a good guy. <laughs> exactly. He better save a cat or... Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but the the whole super heroics montage is fun. And I gather that was all like his first night on the job. Yeah, it all seems to happen because in one night. Next day, Perry White, played, I think, very well uh, by Jackie Cooper, is uh, showing all the headlines and every paper's got something about Superman, but he wants the Daily Planet, to have all the exclusive information. So somebody get, get out there and get more information about Superman. If that's all and in one night, how much sleep does Superman need? That's a good question. Or is Superman just able to, like, you know, <laughs> chew some coffee beans and gargle a glass of water and brew a strong enough <laughs> pot of coffee via superpowers that he's awake again? I think you're confusing Superman with the frozen lager. <laughs> but that works. Superman versus the Frozen Logger. It's going to be a, a, a one-issue special with a couple variant covers, right? Oh, and talking about the Daily Planet, talking about the newspapers, the, the building that they used for the Daily Planet headquarters with the big globe in the lobby, 
That was the New York Daily News headquarters. Very famous for this Art Deco architecture and the big globe and all that. And when, and yet when Perry White is like laying down all of the newspapers and makes me miss times when cities had tons of newspapers, one of the newspapers is the Daily News. Now, I presume it's the Metropolis Daily News, but the typography and the format and everything is like the New York Daily News of the 70s. Uh-huh. So that might have been part of the deal they made to use the uh, the uh, Daily News headquarters. Well, I take this was news that was not just city local. This was... Oh, I don't know. I think those were all, all Metropolis papers. Oh, really? I, t- yeah. I took it that he was being noticed all around, or at least uh, that, it was that may be. distributing may be. elsewhere. But the fact that the Daily News exists in this Metropolis brings me to the fact that there is absolutely no attempt whatsoever to disguise New York City. Oh, you're right. This is New York City, and that's always one of the defining differences between Marvel Comics and DC Comics, is that Marvel Comics all happen in a Marvel version of the real world with real cities, and DC Comics always invent new cities. If something has to happen in the nation's capital, that's going to be Washington, D.C., and there might be a reference to someplace like New York City existing. They'd mention Hackensack, New Jersey in this movie. But Metropolis is, it's got the island of Manhattan. It's got the Statue of Liberty. I'm pretty sure that in the flying scene, we get a view of the World Trade Center towers. It's odd that, yeah, I know that Metropolis is based on certain aspects of New York City. But it's just flat out New York in this movie. Oh, this this is absolutely just completely New York. I'm remembering that in one comic somewhere, I think it's like a crossover event where the DC characters run into an actual Earth. There's a passing comment about how, you know, our planet has so much more coastline. It's like, you knew what you were doing here. <laughs> but absolutely, they don't hide New York here. It is just New York City. They are... And I, I almost feel like they drop the word metropolis later on. It feels so secondary. This is, in some ways, not worried about setting up a DC world. It's worried about telling the story it's trying to. And that's to its credit in some ways, because it's not getting bogged down in all that interconnectedness. Right, which can weigh down a movie. And here, they were able to cram three different movies, as you pointed out, into one in a pretty streamlined way because they were focused on what the story was for each one of these segments. This movie is leaning on the fact that there is a lot more cultural shorthand that people can know with New York that they don't have to reestablish if they use Metropolis in that same way. By making Metropolis so much more just New York in this, they're able to get away with things like our bad guy having a lair in an abandoned subway station way more than it had been because there is an association with New York and the, and the, and the subway station and its, its large reach that they don't have to reestablish, and that's useful. Also, they get some really cool design there on this, <laughs> on the the bad guy's lair, which we'll get beginning into. Yeah, you meant, you you bring up the bad guy, that leads us to some more amazing casting. Gene Hackman 
Gene as Lex Luthor. as Lex Luthor. Oh my goodness. This is the, I believe, Academy Award winning actor, uh, starred in the French Connection, uh, pivotal 70s uh, crime drama movie. And here he, he is playing Lex Luthor. And Ned Beatty as his flunky uh, Otis, another you know, great turn, which adds that comedic element that doesn't completely undermine the drama of this movie, but still establishes that as this is a comic book movie with reference to what comic books meant in the 70s, which is not what they turned into in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, th- in many ways, Lex Luthor in this is the most comic booky aspect. But the fact that he, the fact that they're able to play with some of the things earlier means he doesn't feel jarring to me when he showed up. It did take me a bit to realize it's Lex Luthor. They kept calling him that. It didn't make sense. I'm used to much more modern Lex Luthor, which is this shiny-headed businessman who. I mean, let's just say it. He seems like he's the sort of guy who would start up a a major tech company, you know, selling books, and it would turn into some major corporation that delivers everything everywhere. He feels like that sort of character. And instead, we're giving us this guy who is a little more full of himself and this toupee-wearing wacko who is attempting to exert power all over the place when he doesn't have control over things nearby him. It's a very different type of character, but both are very intriguing, intimidating figure types. Well, Lex Luthor is a villain who adapts over time for the right kind of story. I mean, there are some periods of time in which Lex Luthor is going to be an arms dealer. More modern Lex Luthers, they are like tech giant CEOs and founders. Lex Luthor represents a kind of soulless financially driven, personality driven corporatism. And what that means and what industry it operates in, that's going to change over time. And I think wisely, the writers will change that. Here in the late 1970s, verging upon the 1980s, Lex Luthor is an evil New York based real estate investor and developer. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to delve too much into what or who that represents. Do pay really through me. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, they have, they, they, he's got hair, but they have these little comedic hints about the fact that it's, it's a wig. But this version of Lex Luthor, I mean, he is all, this, this version definitely does still play the character because after introducing himself with a very long segment of bad guy monologuing and grandeur and setup there, he kind of, like states what his plan will be, realizes Superman is a threat early, and calls Superman out immediately. <laughs> like Superman wouldn't have been aware of half of what you're doing at first, but you decide to like just call him out and try to preempt him, and that's cl- that's clever. That's proper supervillainy. Well, yeah, I've, you have to admit that he does get quite an assist from Lois Lane. Yeah. Lois Lane, and thanks to Clark Kent wanting to help Lois, arranges this interview between um, Superman and and Lois. And during this interview, he lets her know what his powers are, what his weaknesses are. He can't see through lead, even though he has x-ray vision and so on. It's like, 
Yeah, I can learn most of what I need to know to plan an attack on Superman just by reading this newspaper article. And sure enough, uh, that's what Lex Luthor does. I mean, it, 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 is a, it is a brilliant meet-cute, and that is another iconic scene, because it does also give you the, the back and forth of uh, Clark Kent setting up a date with Lois Lane, Superman interrupting Lois Lane getting ready for her date by showing up on a balcony and the impromptu interview. Well, no, that was planned. That was planned. Oh, yeah, yeah I was, guess so. I'll meet you on your balcony at such and such a time. And that's the note that Clark arranged to be slipped oh. to Lois. Oh, yeah. And they were supposed to, ha- she was supposed to have this interview with Superman and then go on a date with Clark. And so you get Superman, like, doing this interview and then getting very, you know, oh, back and forth comments, multiple threads of communication at the same time in little misunderstanding ways the entire flight scene yeah the interminable romantic poetic flying scene oh my goodness that does take too long this seemed like it took 45 minutes of the movie when i was 12 or 13 watching this for the first time and wanting to get back to the superhero stuff it wasn't didn't seem as bad watching it again this week but still it could have been a lot shorter it could have been a lot shorter i have issues and questions he supports her via just her arm, which means she's taking her entire body weight on her shoulder, which <laughs> probably not good for her long-term joint health. Probably. But this is the little things I think of in worry because I'm weird. So let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> he also does drop her once, which is, there's a little, that, that's the other like almost wink to camera, but it's more of a, uh-oh. One moment, as he zips down and catches her. It's like, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, or was he just showing off there? Or is this like Superman's version of juggling? Like you go flying with somebody, drop them, then catch them. And I don't know. A very whiplash risky way to juggle. But yeah. And this, uh, this tough reporter just absolutely melts when she meets Superman and gets to know him and, of course, falls in love with him. And is still that distracted when Clark shows up and acts a little bumbling and we do get the brilliant scene of her getting ready and him just you know considering whether or not to reveal it and then deciding not to that terrific shot where we see we've seen christopher reeve playing clark kent and we've seen him playing superman here we get that shot of him changing from clark into superman and then back into clark it's brilliant but I mean that that whole setup, yeah. She literally hands you know how to how to cripple <laughs> Superman on a platter, and I don't know. This is another area where you might find yourself doing some math, where um, Lex Luthor sees an article about this green meteorite that fell during such and such a year in Addis Ababa, and it's in a museum now, and. He figures out that that must be a rock from wherever it is that Superman came from, and therefore it must be harmful to Superman. It's like, there's a lot of leaps. You're right, but there's a lot of logical leaps there, Mr. Luther. There's a lot of logical leaps. I will give Lex Luthor that he can use whatever type of energy emissions Superman has already used in his crime fighting to confirm similar origin source to this rock in some form i can give him that for that sort of proof i can give him the fact that 
meteorites of various types do enter Earth's atmosphere, although most do not make it into the to the ground. And I am very glad that I can't figure out a very clear explanation as to the equivalency or comparative size of Krypton to Earth, which means I was unable to calculate the uh, the total mass and volume of Krypton, which means I couldn't figure out how much rock and get a and get a percentage chance of a piece of it landing on Earth. I was actually saved because they didn't give me enough information to start my math. So once again, I'm going to take that as a win and leave. (laughs) Because I looked it up on the wikis and tried. Well, we do know that adult Kryptonians are roughly the size of adult humans, maybe on the high end of that. We do know that Krypton has a higher gravity than Earth. That's just density. That's we just don't density. Need, we, we don't, don't know. know how big it is. It could be a very small and even denser than we think planet. I can't be sure, so I'm yeah. going to be okay. It did appear to have a, only a single city from what we could see. Yeah, pretty sparse. <laughs> I'm sorry, I won't, try to, <laughs> I won't try to lure you back into the math zone. I have books upstairs. I'll start calculating. <laughs> I'm almost free. <laughs> oh goodness! I'm just realizing this is just, this entire podcast episode is just me turning into Brainiac. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, we we get we get a, an entire silly side moment of the plot to obtain the, the the he gets the rock, but they also get missiles. Yeah, the whole plan that uh, Lex Luthor has to become a zillionaire or whatever is to use to retarget nuclear missile tests to destroy the West Coast by triggering the San Andreas Fault. That was very much in the popular culture current at the time with the movie Earthquake having been released a few years earlier. Though everybody oh. in the everybody in America knew about the San Andreas Fault. And the fact that it could cause half of California to drop into the sea. So they were right in line with what people were, were aware of and what, what people were thinking about. But he needed two missiles. Well, I don't know. Why? Uh, well, he's, I've, maybe he's just a really good planner and he's not going to take anything for granted. First of all, there were like live fire tests of warhead enabled nuclear missiles such that the only thing Lex Luthor had to do is reprogram their targets. What were their original targets? Wait, yeah, what? Wait, was, wait, was, was wait, this actually wait. was this Lex Luthor saying, "No, let's not start World War 3. Let's instead make me a lot of money. Fewer people will die even though I'm destroying half of California." Is Lex Luthor the good guy? I don't think so. I don't know. But where were these missiles going? I mean, it's not like he stole them and prob- launched them. He just they were there was a launch scheduled and he retargeted them. Missile test probability says either Nevada or a small island that won't be there for much longer. It was a lot. Yeah. Well, in the 70s, I don't think they were doing that anymore with above ground. Yeah. Live they, warhead. I nuclear they, were testing. Doing, they were only doing below ground testing. Because they, I, I thought, learned <laughs> I their lesson. You see, I never even, uh, this is the first time I've ever thought about that aspect. What were they shooting at? Is this a DC world with where the other things and there's something they have a reason to shoot at? This is weird. I'm really <laughs> confused and bewildered now. I don't know. 
But yeah, Lex Luthor decides that, you know, I can buy up all of the middle of California for cheap and I can break off the edge like a Kit Kat bar <laughs> and build myself new coastline. And I'm like, turned into a very strange little episode of something on HGTV for a second. But That's such a brilliant idea. It shows up in a later James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, Superman will take one missile, Bond will deal with the other, and we'll yeah. be fine. But uh, the, the entire thing is that, you know, I'm going to cripple Superman, but as a backup, I'm going to fire a second missile to another place so that if, you, if the first thing doesn't stop you, the second thing will distract you. Right. It's as if he, he in, in, the initial plan was to have the two missiles, maybe just to... to disguise what his motives were what his real target was because one was headed for the east coast and the other was headed for california and then superman showed up and he said oh superman might still get in the way here so i better get the kryptonite and all that so yeah he he cre he puts he has a lead box full of kryptonite on a chain gotta say that was a little weird because Superman drills his way into the fortress, asks Lex Luthor what he thinks he's doing. Lex Luthor says, sure, and gives a little demonstration, like, <laughs> welcome to my TED Talk of Evil. <laughs> like, here's my entire plan. Superman's just like, I'm going to stop you. Okay, well, whatever. Feel free, tear the place up. Don't look in that box. Superman looks in the box. Kryptonited. Kryptonite on a chain. It's like Mr. T, but defeating Superman. Just wrap this around him and it's the krypton collection from pandora <laughs> oh yes oh goodness and then he tries to drown him he's like oh he's weak toss him in water that doesn't work because superman charms uh lex luther's female lackey love interest into saving him because she actually wants to do good kind of got in over her head there's a whole little side plot there that gets resolved in saving superman right she's his like He's Lex's girlfriend slash accomplice, but she learns very late in the game that one of the missiles is headed for Hackensack, New Jersey, and that's where her mom lives. Yeah. So she saves Superman, but not before making him promise that he will first stop the missile that's going to go to, to, to destroy Hackensack. And only then will he go and stop the one that's going to destroy California. Makes me wonder if the New Jersey targeting was because he thought she'd be, Lex Luthor thought she'd be the one to betray him. That might have been part of his planning, because it does mean that Superman throws the missile headed for New Jersey into space and doesn't stop the other one in time. Surprisingly, he seems to be able to fly much faster than that later, so why he can't make it to both in time is a little weird. Yeah, I'm really not sure that the logic... This, this film falls apart for me. Towards the end, there. Yeah, this it, is. It gives way to, and magic occurs. Yeah, this 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 movie doesn't quite have the follow through. It does great setup, and that's where I think the fourth movie is because there's three really great Superman movies in here. There's the 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 early days, the Smallville, the Metropolis. All of those are great films, and then there's whatever this disaster movie is at the end, which decides to not be coherent. And this fourth film 
Superman's power set is wildly different based on whatever is dramatic. Yeah, it's just completely plot driven. I mean, for me, it changes when he needs, he's like, um, he's lured out by Lex Luthor, who sends this high pitched voice signal out into the city that can only be heard by somebody with a super hearing. Which is clever. Which he figures out Superman must have. Very clever. And Superman, or excuse me, Clark Kent jumps out a window while everybody else is distracted by oh, watching yeah. television. And partway down, his clothes just magically disappear or transform into his Superman suit. I'm assuming he was wearing the suit underneath his work suit and just decided this is important enough, I don't need it. Like laser laser vision off a reflective surface and vaporize the wool suit off of himself well, that would have been cool if that's what it was if that's what was happening i wish they had shown it yeah they don't really show it he just kind of like Vroom. yeah it's just oh <laughs> fade to super suit because we need him in the super suit oh goodness we get superman's magical girl transformation just... <laughs> or th th i would have taken that another well. fine answer yeah it's give like, me something give us something he just especially after making the big deal of it early on if it was just that he has the ability to change his clothes into a Superman outfit, okay, fine. We've established that. But to establish very clearly one thing and then to just completely ignore it, that's when they they lose me and that's where they change it into a different movie the way you're describing. I mean, that 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 other movie has its fun points. It has its weird points. Superman having now not stopped the san andreas fault dives into the earth and starts lifting tectonic plates in such a way that they play the f footage of the fault falling apart backwards and the world's okay now that is you know late comics superman for me I i'm i'm fine with that that's really this is this is a god upon earth yeah this is this is where his his sheer amount of invulnerable super strength and power come through but uh, but he that, that even that's not enough though the, the the earthquakes have been triggered and there are places being destroyed. Mainly the two things he has to deal with are the Hoover Dam and Lois Lane trapped in her car. They kind of compress a season of Thunderbirds yeah. into the last twenty minutes of this movie. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted the Tracys to come deal with this. The Tracys would have at least have other ways of dealing with the um. The dam, which has a lot of houses way closer to the water flow area than I expected. Yeah. That was a little weird. Some of their miniature work gets weird there. <laughs> but his, his response to the dam is breaking is, is kind of to stand there and watch the dam break for a little while and then think, oh, and push over like half a mountain's worth of stuff to create another artificial dam really close to one of those houses i literally get to watch one of the people's miniature lawns get covered by rocks <laughs> and i'm like oof property well, value i guess he had to go where the rocks were available to make the, the makeshift dam yeah oh and and jimmy olsen uh happened to be on the on the dam at the time so he had to be flown to safety and now i'm really distracted because i am gonna have to check ao3 later for Thunderbirds, Superman crossovers. Oh, goodness. Anyway, that's for later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but meanwhile, Lois Lane's car has been... This didn't look like an earthquake tremor. This didn't look like an earthquake crack. This looked like one of the worms from Tremors decided to attack <laughs> Lois Lane. Because this thing literally 
follows her car and eats it into a hole. And then we get the cuts back and forth between Lois Lane and what Superman is doing to save people as she's slowly getting buried by debris in this And horrifically crushed. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness, this is dark. What happened to silly Mr. Toupee guy firing missiles, which was comedic in a weird way, despite him trying to be dramatic? This is just creepy. So the love of his life, Lois Lane, has died, and Clark Kent goes off to beat up criminals by night in a lower Gotham city. (laughs) No, that's next door. Okay. Or an Elseworlds story. I think that is an Elseworlds story. I know Marvel better than I know DC. (laughs) I don't read a lot of direct comics. I'm a person who reads a lot of wikis about comics and follows a bunch of like people who review entire arcs and seasons. So I know just enough to get myself in trouble when it comes to comics, but I think there is a story of that. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up later, but we both have Googling to do later. But no, this is where Superman decides to just absolutely go Silver Age and pull a new power out of nowhere, which is fly so fast that he breaks entropy. Not before he remembers the giant hologram of his dad warning him, you are forbidden to interfere in human history. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, isn't the fact that I'm here interfe- interfering with human history? Yeah. But I guess it, it is more on point when he is contemplating the solution he uses. Yeah, he flies backwards around the world until we watch the world stop spinning. Well, he flies in the other direction around the world. It would be kind of funny if he was flying backwards around the world feet first. Point made. (laughs) I wouldn't mind seeing that. But anyway. He just dive kicks and doesn't (laughs) stop. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I can imagine this. But no, he he flies around the world opposite to its rotation and stops it and then rewinds it like a VHS cassette. Because everybody knows when when, when the planet turns backwards time goes in reverse and that's why time goes backwards in some of our planets see remember when i said i know just enough about comics to get myself in trouble i can explain this and i don't know if i should but i kind of no matter what this was not good (laughs) this was silly i appreciate that it was silly but it was really weird I can pull Flash lore and Speed Force in here and explain what just happened, but I shouldn't have to, because this is too weird, and this is silly, and it makes sense story-wise, but I'm bothered. So time is not the other way around on Venus, you're saying? No. I've never been, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why it's so hard to keep a probe functioning for very long. Ah, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is, I, I very, very clearly remember sitting in, uh, in the Argo movie theater, watching this movie and just, what are they doing? He's flies backwards and time reverses. And that's this. Salu- how does he know? How did they stop? ruin this movie in the last few minutes? Shouldn't we get him like skidding to a stop over the atmosphere, looking down, seeing like the Victorian era and going, oops, and then flying the other way and speeding forward to, to you know. But you not know. before having another 
uh, side story adventure for another special edition. Absolutely. Just, it's like, that's very, very precise time scrubbing he has. Yeah. Because he rewinds, like, just to before Lois's car falls in and, like, pulls it out and saves her. Doesn't this mean the dam broke and killed a bunch of people? Well, I, houses? I, yeah, that's it. He he reverses time, but it doesn't seem like it's very selective. So that doesn't that mean that he still hasn't stopped the second missile? Or are there two supermen? Or, or are there two supermen? Or, as you say, is he just saying, well... I got to choose between the town and Lois. I'm going to save Lois. Sorry, guys. Let's hope the Tracys are here. Yeah. What? I I don't know how that's the solution. Yeah. The Because the only thing going back in time would allow you to do is to make a different choice. And what different choice is he making? Yeah. There's a lot of problems right here at the end. So much of this movie I like. And it really, really falls apart there. And doesn't it just kind of end really close to... Oh, no, 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 no. We get a cut. We then, like, cut from him saving Lois to him dropping uh, Lex Luthor and his lackey off with it in, like, a max security prison and leaving. Yes, and, and dropping them off in the prison yard, telling the warden, I'll assume they'll be safe with you until they can get a, a fair trial. I know. Thank you, Superman. Nope, we're both on the same side. I'm part of the prison industrial complex, just like you. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's a problem, Maxine, yeah. nowadays. But, uh, yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, I presume it was a, a, an appropriately run, municipally owned and operated uh, metropolis penitentiary. Well, yeah. Well, we will definitely assume that, and... Lex Luthor does do the right thing by immediately uh, uh, removing any personal possessions, including his toupee, <laughs> so that those can be properly cataloged for invent- and, and inventoried. So this is also the like, no, I'm bold and egotistical moment, which <laughs> is one last fine moment for a very, very well done Lex Luthor. But I and, still am wondering what happens to Damn City. And Otis really gets into hype man mode there, like yeah. re- repeating and emphasizing every single thing Lex says. <laughs> There's something a little bit like, like Lex Luthor is about to drop a diss track, and Otis is there to run backup <laughs> comments on it. Like, we just needed someone to drop a beat and something would happen. Huh. I'm thinking now about what you were saying about his the precision that Superman had. Late 70s Metropolis, is it possible he would have seen one of the early innovators of Scratch DJing doing their thing, and that's what gave him the idea to put the backwards... Never mind. Whoa. <laughs> but... So, yeah, they, it was so good. Was multiple movies stuck into one so good for so long, and then it kind of falls apart. So disappointing. Absolutely. It feels like it's kind of time that it's, we're coming towards our final conclusions then, if we've hit the end of the movie, and we're starting to look at the whole picture yeah. of what this was as, as a complete with how that ended. I think so. So, it's a movie. Screen or no screen? I think I'm going to say screen. Yeah, I'm going to say screen, because this is a this is an interesting f- set of films in a film. 
It's definitely one where the later it gets in the movie, you're more okay to go refill your popcorn bucket and grab a beverage. Fair enough. Like, I'd say sit, like, the initial Krypton bit is a little too drawn out, so if you're needing to go, like, check the microwave for that popcorn and you're fine, as long as it's done before he hits Smallville, literally. And then you'll eat your popcorn and probably drink a something while watching the middle two sections. And by the time Lex Luthor starts using the, the dog signal to call out Superman directly, hopefully either whatever beverage you chose was strong enough to kick in, or you'll be out of popcorn and need to go make more, because you're not going to want to sit through all of the rest of it very wrapped with attention, because it kind of falls apart by then. You'll get a fine experience there. This is a very prescriptive viewing, but I'd say screen it. Yeah, I agree screen it i disagree with some of the details there i would say you want to be there for all of the krypton stuff i love that stuff Uh, the actual destruction of krypton goes on longer than it really needs to but i would still say it's it's i i love the way that they present krypton i love the design and and set decoration in krypton marlon brando is terrific I never even dis- t- discussed how absolutely weirdly shiny everyone's shirts are on Krypton. Yeah, there's some interesting choices there where they have... They, had, they almost had some Tron glow going on. Right, some weird UV lighting almost on these bright white or, or silvery suits. It worked very well. It gave it a sense of high-tech alienness while still making these human-like beings. I liked it. It just looked like they were all wrapped in thermal shock blankets. And the whole crystal architecture and crystal-based technology and memory storage and everything, we've seen more things like that over the years. But at the time, that struck me as really wild and innovative, and this is so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, like the, it's like pneumatic tr- tubes and quartz crystals. That was awesome. It was kind of so, cool. So yeah, I would say, because you're not going to see it anywhere else, really— you're going to want to be there for all the Krypton stuff. The Smallville stuff is more predictable. If you miss any of the Smallville stuff, you're not going to be lost. You're going to essentially know what happened. The opening titles are long enough. You can probably get your popcorn during those. That is true. Yeah, it's a 70s movie where all the titles, all, the, all most of the credits are up front. And uh, so, yeah, I would say screen. Don't have your hopes up too high when it comes to the whole movie because it does fall apart towards the end, like we said. But it is still so much fun. They do some of the young Clark Kent and Fortress of Solitude stuff very well. Oh, yeah. And uh, and it also is so influential on so many other things that it is uh, it is worth seeing. So I agree. This is a screen. Now, this is one of those things where our second question is really, really difficult because it's kind of been answered in so many different ways already. And that is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there is actively attempt at bringing DC into film again. They're, they've they've tried with their their things, and they're having some success in some of their their properties, and some of them are not working elsewhere. Because right now there is a lot of interest in superhero movies overall. We've we've gone through an era of them right now, and. Whether or not it still has the momentum is unknown. I'm going to say revive. Or I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm saying reboot. It's hard to define because I want aspects of how they depicted this 
to be brought back. Okay, maybe we need to define our terms more precisely than we usually do. Okay. Because to recap our usual terms, revive means we want a sequel or some other new media, new storytelling, in which what we have just seen is still canon. Hmm. That's revive. Reboot is, we'll take the same idea, and we will rebuild it from scratch. The the, the, the Moore sci-fi channel Battlestar Galactica is a reboot, not a revival, really, of the original. And then there's Rest in Peace, and that is, we don't need to make any more of this, we don't need to reboot it, we don't need to revive it, let's just let it be what it is, and we can always go back and enjoy it. Or not. So that's Revive, Reboot, or Rest in Peace. What is it we're talking about reviving or rebooting? We can't just say Superman, because this wasn't the original Superman, and there have been so many other Superman things already. Can we say that the... The Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve movie, 1978 movie Superman, is a particular property, a particular version of Superman. Yeah. And therefore, our question is, do we want to revive that take on Superman? Or do we want to reboot that take on Superman, etc.? Okay, with that better defined once again, I'm going to say I want to reboot aspects of this version of Superman. There is so much that is being done right now with the character and with the the world that he inhabits as a, a superhero of Detective Comics comics, as they call themselves, DC Comics, which, redundancy aside, I think that there's aspects of how they present him, which is so much what is missing from modern interpretations. The fact that our Superman has such a clearly defined moral center again actually would keep him balanced, even if you want to make his world a little darker, by making him this person putting in the effort to hold that line. You can do that a little better. Make it a little less, make, make some of that fight a little more internal than I've seen in some of the other movies in a better way. I think this does a fine job. It should be referenced for that. The fact that it's allowing itself to be silly at times could be better executed in this movie, but is something that the franchise shouldn't lose sight of. And you can pull that out. I actually really like this interpretation of Lex Luthor and would love to see a Lex Luthor who, even in his business mindset, realizes that a bit of personal branding and PR to it can be nice and he can have a little bit more personality than being weirdly stoic. This guy has some flair, and I miss that, and I want some of that back. Put some of that back in Lex Luthor. There's fun here. Yeah, this is a Lex Luthor who is so smart that he has got intelligence left over for Snark above and beyond planning his uh, his supervillainous uh, escapades. Yeah. And I like that. It's fun. I mean, Le Lex Luthor can have a giant world-destroying plan, but... Give us a Lex Luthor who also realizes I'm smart enough to corner the market on, like, pop figures for just long <laughs> enough to make a side business. And I find them fun. Like, give him a hobby alongside supervillainy. That gives him something. This is great. This guy is, like, redecorating his lair as he works and has aesthetic choices because he's smart enough to find that a nice little distraction while a plan works its way out. 
that's great. Give me that. I, I, I want parts of this to be reassessed and reincorporated because it gives a bit more of the flavor back to a, a Superman who, when pulled into purely action movie after action movie, can get a little trained of that colorful vibrance. Yeah, I agree. I, I do want a, a reboot in the sense of I want a reboot. I want to want more Superman storytelling. I want a new movie for Superman or TV series that pull, that brings back some of that joy through the eighties and nineties and, and beyond. There was this sense in comics. And I think especially in DC comics where the worst thing that a comics fan could think a comment comic was doing was not being mature enough and being kids stuff. And that's the worst thing you could say. So everything had to be brooding and dark and serious. And I love those kind of comics. Give me Frank Miller's Batman over any other version of Batman. And I'm there, but not every comic or superhero story has to be that way. And that was one of the great things for me about DC was the contrast. There was less of a sense of everybody is in the same world and it has the same tone that you get say with Marvel in the comics and now of course in the movies dc you could be in metropolis one day and you could be in in gotham city another day and they were very different places and very different tones and there was a certain brightness and joy to superman stories even when they had conflict so and i miss that i don't think we get enough superman stories like that my favorite Comic book depiction of Superman is in All-Star Superman. You'll, you're tired of hearing me talk about this, I'm sure, Ian. All-Star Superman by uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley. Because it has just that perfect balance of stories and high stakes with Superman being and Clark Kent being a good person, being the Boy Scout, and doing the things that are made difficult by the fact that he has this moral code that he has a world and people he cares about. And I was surprised, and I've said so many times, why can't they just get a, a good writer and director who appreciate that version of, super of Superman as much as I do to translate it to the screen? The 1978 Superman was closer to that than I realized. It wasn't quite there, but it was in the right ballpark. So I want to see a reboot of that kind of, of Superman story, that's kind of Superman movie. And I would, would say that that could be considered a reboot of the 1978 take on how to make a Superman movie. Absolutely. I feel like we're going to have to, I, we're going to run into more of these later. We're going to run into more story related to comics later. And I'm intrigued to see if everything can keep that essence of character as well as this did i also kind of need to resolve some plot lines from this one dad superman 2 had some impact on you right because i need that opening section to be resolved for me at some point <laughs> this is gonna happen right please? i i think yeah maybe we might need to watch superman 2 oh good <laughs> thank you <laughs> If not, um, if not for the main podcast, I think maybe we'll talk about that for the the Patreon feed. Uh, either, thank you. 
So yeah, I think we're both there. Screen this movie, and yeah, give us a reboot of this kind of take on on Superman. Give give us back some of the color. <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap up uh, for this episode of the IWMP. This was fun. This is a movie that uh, I don't know if it was on the original list that I made when we were first starting this podcast, but if it wasn't, it should have been. I'm glad we did this one. This yeah. one was fun. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from uh, from the distant past. Uh, but in the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as Item Crafting, on YouTube as Item Crafting, and on Twitch as Item Crafting Live. And you can find me online at ByMatthewPorter.com. You can also find me on Twitter as ByMatthewPorter or on Twitch as ByMatthewPorter. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at IMMPCast, or you can find us online at IMMProject.com, and uh, there you'll find all of our back episodes, uh, over 50 of them now, and you will find a link to our Discord, you'll find a link to our Patreon, where you'll get access to special parts of our Discord, access to special content that goes out to our uh, Patreon supporters, and thank you very much if you are able to support. If you can't support us on Patreon, please keep downloading the, the podcast itself. And if you can go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us as many stars as you'd like. Five is nice. Uh, We'd really appreciate that. It helps other people discover the podcast and helps us keep going. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.